Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Soft skills, you know, interaction, how to work as a team. Even in an individual sport, often, you're acting as a team. And so those were the building blocks of achieving a goal, but achieving their full potential as a human, which was always far more important to me than what skill or what medal, you know. So I believe that winning is a byproduct of the work that you put in. And I think that's a true thing through all through life. It's the byproduct of the things that you do to make it happen. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dreamcatchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome and you all are in for a treat this week. I've got Susan Jacobson in with me today. Susan, how are you? I'm wonderful, Jerome. Thank you for having me. So excited to have you. This is going to be an amazing journey. And if you guys don't have a notepad, I really encourage you to get one because this woman is phenomenal. She's been on this amazing journey, and I'm not going to tell you anything about it. You're going to have to plug in, listen up. And I think your life will be transformed on the backside of this episode. And so, Susan, uh, we're here at the Go Abundance Conference in Miami. And I just made a little donation to the foundation that you work with. Yes, you did. And we're so very, very, very grateful for that, that you're supporting One Life Fully Lived. What is One Life Fully Lived? We are a nonprofit organization that opened 10 years ago and actually was founded by one of the founders of GoBundance, which is why we're here right now, um, to help people create a roadmap to dream, plan, and live their best lives. Who do you guys help? We help people that are emerging from hardship. So whatever that looks like, if it's a generational poverty, you know, and we start to think about some of the symptoms of that. So violence, you know, criminal background, um, abuse, many of those kind of things. So people emerging from hardship, um, maybe it's been addiction, and then at-risk youth. Mm. Those are the people who are usually forgotten about. 
That's exactly why. You know, a lot of people have access to information because of maybe the privilege that's present in their life, and they're able to kind of look around and easily see where they might want to go or just be able to ask somebody about that journey. But there's a lot of the population out there that's in very vulnerable situations. It's forgotten, like you said. And um, there isn't access, there isn't tools, there isn't education, there isn't inclusion. You know, it's like there's the American dream, but it's not for everybody because you don't have the key to the lock. And so we've got some keys that uh, help you get there. Now, some people may look at you and say, what do you know about hardship? Why would you care about folks that are struggling or trying to figure it out? Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to this place where you're leading One Life Fully Lived? Yeah, and actually, I'm the operations director. We have a super amazing woman that's the executive director, um, Carolyn Colleen. But, you know, when it comes to seeing where there may be hardship or a need or clearly that there is an access, um, there's a couple things, actually, in my life. Um, My mother grew up uh, one block off 8 Mile in Detroit. Her brothers and sisters slept next to the freezer at night to stay warm because they couldn't afford the heat bill in single mother household. So yeah, I'm a white girl with silver hair. Um, My dad came from the other side of that. He grew up in a very affluent area of Detroit and they met in church. Um, But my dad died when I was 11. Oh my gosh. So as I was coming to age of a time that you start making decisions for your life, there wasn't anybody that's going to give me good advice. The other thing that helped me when I was a young girl realize that even my situation, you know, that I had a pretty smooth life as a young child until he passed away and I was in a single, um, single parent household. My best friend in the third grade, I was living in Las Vegas. We lived in Las Vegas a lot. He worked for the government, so we would move around and go back there. But My best friend in the third grade was a black girl. And we played together all day in school, but when it came time to go home, she got on one bus, I got on another bus, and we couldn't be together in the same neighborhood. It was a time of gang violence and riots in Las Vegas. Um, And our parents wouldn't let us play at each other's houses. My dad was worried she wasn't safe, maybe in our neighborhood. Um, And her mother knew I wasn't safe if I came home to hers. But we're two little girls. We want to have slumber parties. We want to do things that little girls' girlfriends do, and it wasn't allowed to us. So I really began to question, one, why is there hate in the world? Don't we just love everybody? Isn't that what we were put here to do, is to love and help each other be their very best? Um, And then when I was a mother, I went um, to Memphis, Tennessee, Um, And we'll talk probably a little bit about my background in sport and serving others. But any time that I took athletes to a new community, a new city, no matter where we were in the world, I wanted them to learn about the culture and what matters in that town and what the people are like in that town and what their struggles have been and what things were. So I um, went to Memphis and made sure that we learned some things about Dr. Martin Luther King. But another thing we did was we went to a... um, one of a museum that's there that was uh, one of the Underground Railroad stops. But when we pulled up in front of it, it was a house, just looked totally like any other house. There was no sign that said it was a museum. 
um, there was a black man sitting on the porch out back in a rocking chair. And so my little family, white family, I jumped out of the car and went over there and said, is this a museum? And he said, you want to see this museum? What do you think this museum is? And I said, um, I understand it's Underground Railroad. He goes, uh-huh. And you want to know about that? And I said, well, yes, sir. Huh. And why? And I said, because I think there's a horrible thing that happened. And I think that, you know, if we don't teach our children about things that happened in history that weren't right, then they're not going to understand and they're going to make the same mistakes again. And so I want my kids to understand that there was a time that there was bad things that happened and how they happened and why they happened and how to prevent them from happening. And he said, hmm, follow me. And so he brought me into the lobby of this house and announced, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, where are you from? I was living in California. I said, we're from California. He goes, oh, I see. Okay, so they're from California. And he was like, how did you find me? And I don't, I don't even remember how we found out the place was there. And sure enough, it was a beautiful museum. And then a whole bunch of busloads of kids showed up that uh, didn't look like us either. And so they said we could bring my family inside and go on this tour. But as the tour began, the tour guide was very uncomfortable with us present. So again, I understood that the stories maybe I knew weren't the whole story. And we asked that could we please stay in the room. And um, he said it would be more comfortable for everyone else if you didn't, but come with me and I'll tell you the whole story. So this was another time that myself and my kids, you know, as loving and inclusive as we are, that we realized that there's something different out there, that the whole story is not being told to people from different areas. And, I, and I've come to believe and see that it comes actually both ways. Like there's so many things we need to learn more about each other. Um, but we had a beautiful experience that day, actually. And, um, but it's led me to, and in our role, you know, with One Life Fully Lived, to really look deeply at those we serve and make sure that those that are serving them from our team have walked in shoes at least on the same road as those that are there so we can meet them where we're at. Because I don't have all the answers. I don't know what your life's been, what you've been through, but same thing with me. People look at me, they don't realize a little bit about that. So there you go. Ooh. So what you guys don't know, this is Susan's first podcast interview. So we're getting the goods. This is exclusive. So you got married right out of high school. Very early. Those relationships usually don't last. Indeed, they did not. It did not. It did not. I ended up in a very abusive situation, both mentally and it turned physically over time. Well, when you're a fighter, it's kind of hard to be beat up on or beat on, right? And so you, you expand. But I don't think many people understand the situations that get created as a result of domestic violence. And so you left that situation and did things get better immediately when you got away from that or did they get worse? You know, interestingly, you know, getting getting better, getting worse, um, there definitely is a, a new set of circumstances or a new set of challenges. So... Um, was my life threatened during that time? Yeah. Um, you know, mentally where you were, are you strong enough? Are you beat down to get out, you know, from what the circumstance is, but physically as well. So I knew I wanted to go. Um, 
And fortunately, I, you know, was able to go home for a while, but that really isn't, you know, once you've been out on your own, that's not the best fit either. Um, and I had dreams and goals and things I wanted to pursue. So I went from there and I moved to L.A. And in L.A., um, I was hoping to pursue a career as a singer. That had been a dream I'd had since I was a little girl. But it's expensive even back then. This was in the 80s to live in L.A. Um, and so I found myself homeless. I was living on the beach, uh, living out of uh, the back of a truck. I had a tent um, that I lived in. And, um, and so there were different types of dangers present um, in that circumstance, but I did feel like I had more control of my life. And I knew um, in that other situation, I knew that there was more to life than where I was. And I knew that um, no matter what I was faced with, that I was strong enough inside, inside to be able to get through it. And so you did get through it. What happened next? Um, sort of started to look at different ways to, um, where I could make money. You know, I had to be able to have enough money coming in to come up with all those deposits. So I found a lot of different jobs. I was tending bar. I was cleaning houses. Um, I also was coaching sports, working with kids. What kind of sports? Um, so I was coaching softball and gymnastics. Okay. Actually. And which was, you know somewhat of another love sports was something I had done always, you know, growing up. But as a little girl, um, I love to sing and I love to teach and I love to help other people be able to build to their full potential, to be able to get skills, accomplish things, um, have a desire or goal and help them achieve that goal. Like I can remember being four and five years old or being a babysitter even later working with kids and, you know, other people helping them do that. So that sports was a big vehicle and a big part of my life. Um, I was volunteering sometimes. Sometimes I would get paid. It just depended on where I was. Okay. And what did you enjoy the most about all those different experiences? Because it sounds like you collected a lot of skills and you probably learned a lot about people in that space. That's true. Yes, I did learn a lot about people. Um, in all of those different types of places, you know, the people that I was serving, cleaning houses for, I clean yachts sometimes, and people were very nice and would allow me to, you know, come hang out on my days off or whatever, so having conversations with that, with them, and I always was looking at ways for, um, you know, different business models, you know, so I, so I started very young um, looking at, you know, gosh, I'd like to own my own business. What does that look like? You know, what can I do with this? So I would do this different. So I think a lot of it was... Um, looking at ideas of where there was opportunity, really being very aware um, of opportunity, beginning to learn very early where, what my strengths were, you know, and where I could apply myself, um, learning how people responded when they faced adversity or fear, you know, what, how paralyzing fear was, if you think about the sport of gymnastics, how paralyzing that is, you know, and how you move forward out of that and take the next step towards a skill or a goal that you want to accomplish. So. Okay. And so the kids, did you help them realize their potential? Absolutely. So I really, you know, if you think about sport or music, um, acting, you know, all kinds of hobbies, really, um, recreational hobbies that you pursue, they teach you life skills. You know, they teach you how to take risks. 
They teach you dedication, perseverance, goal setting, um, soft skills, you know, interaction, how to work as a team. Even in an individual sport, often you're acting as a team. And so those were the building blocks of achieving a goal, but achieving their full potential as a human, which was always far more important to me than what skill or what medal, you know. So I believe that winning is a byproduct of the work that you put in. And I think that's a true thing through all through life. It's the byproduct of the things that you do to make it happen. I like that. It's an output. You works the input, strategies the input, and you execute well, then you get a winning output. I'm trying to decide where to go. Because there's so many places to go. And I think I've decided to go to, you had a lot of different jobs, hustling, businesses. Did you figure out how to manage money well? So actually, interesting you should ask me that. No, not really. As I said, so I, you know, my mom grew up in a very difficult situation. They didn't have a lot of money. We look at what we're taught you know, here in the United States. And so you're taught, you know, to live outside of your means, not within your means. Um, you're not taught to make sure that when you make more, you don't spend more. Um, you're not taught about passive income unless you grow up in an environment that that's how your family exists. You know, so you're either taught that you live that life where you continually train your cha- trade your time for money or you live in debt, and so someone else controls your money and what you do with your money. You don't have that. You're not taught about financial freedom unless you come from an environment where that's present. So along that journey, I owned a lot of different businesses. Um, And some were a little more successful than others, but there wasn't, it was all just buying myself a job. So sometimes when people open a business, you know, they have all these great ideas and they're going to do it. But ultimately the reality is, and I had a business partner say this to me one time, um, that, you know, well, are we starting a business or are you buying yourself a job? And um, ultimately, actually, that business failed um, during the recession. And so, but I've always failed forward and always looked at, um, I try to be out ahead of, mistakes but sometimes you're not and uh, I got a lot of training through the school of hard knocks well and I don't consider any of them a failure and uh, hopefully the listeners will pick this one out because I think it's a real nugget I think there's experimentation along the way until you find the thing and once you find the thing and it works you continue to do that over and over and over again improve the system improve the process make it more efficient make it more profitable whatever you're looking to optimize for And if you don't have the experimentation, because I think in America, and it's probably because of our school system, we we think if it doesn't work the first time, then we failed. And it's just not real. I mean, scientific experiments are just that. We don't, we have a theory, we test the theory, and if we test it enough times and it works, then we call it a law. But anything outside of that, we're doing an experiment. And if we go into spaces that way, we might be a little more adventurous. I agree. No, and I, I completely I completely agree with that. I, um, there was somebody that was a business mentor of mine, and one of the things he said one time was, I go and tell my people, I want you to fail. 
I want you to mess up, you know, because those are the lessons you learn the loudest from. You know, a lot of times that's what gives you that grit. Um, sometimes it stings more than others, so it keeps you from doing it and repeating the same mistake, you know. The bigger the, mis the, bigger the fall, the bigger the lesson, which is always a good thing. So, I mean, that's why I said I fail forward. Because that's that's the truth is you you know you've 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 got to sometimes because that gives you and you've got to be fearless to do that you know you've got to be willing you've got to be willing to do it to make it happen. Little risks never hurt anybody. So you started a nonprofit. That's right. And that what led you to one life fully lived that's right so i was working you know in the space of sport um i'd been working for a national governing body um that was within the olympic movement i was a team leader to the 2012 olympic games and what i found actually at the olympic games um we were with a lot of coaches and um, directors of programs talking about the challenges our sports faced and while we all used a different you know, apparatus for play, we all had similar problems. And so I always have had a strength um, in strategy. And so I started thinking about, well, really, there's kind of some, one, similarities, but similar solutions as well. What if I could create a nonprofit that would be able to meet the needs of these organizations, which then in turn, you know, I learned I went from coaching athletes, coaching children, to coaching coaches, to coaching leaders and in the beginning I resisted that coaching coaches thing but then I realized that my capacity to scale and impact the lives of others if I taught a hundred kids that was a hundred kids if I taught a coach that taught a hundred kids and there were 20 coaches I was training we do the math right if I taught a leader of an organization and so that's sort of how that came about is so I launched this nonprofit um, worked with actually a couple um, countries uh, so now, now, now I've gone from a leadership position to a national governing body and providing some consulting services for them and looking at the scale of what that was. So I was doing a little bit of that um, through this nonprofit. And then also we were living in a very rural area in Northern California that I had started a sports program there years ago when there wasn't one for younger children. And when I came back to town, um, they the community, many of them now parents, were like, we want this for our kids. You know, so now I'm in tells you how old I am with my silver hair. I'm second generation. You know, I'm coaching their kids now, right? So we got it going sort of again. And so we use the nonprofit sort of for a little bit of local and then more global activity. Wow. And so why not just keep doing that? Why transition to coaching people who are coming from these unfortunate circumstances? Yeah, right. So um, that rural town that we were in, um, has a very large um, immigrant population. Um, there's a lot of kid, a lot of children there that are DACA recipients now. Um, so we had uh, we had a lot of poverty. Um, the county was uh, recognized as being, I believe, it actually was the highest opiate addicted county in the United States. So there was a lot of challenges in the small town, which is why uh, One Life Fully Lived founder Tim Road began One Life Fully Lived, one, one of the reasons, you know, that he looked around and he saw this problem in the very community he was in. And so I'm, you know, kind of doing my thing with the nonprofit, uh, working at that. I've 
one of the lessons I learned through the other uh, business entities that I'd had, and actually as a, you know, as a coach and leader in sport, was that sustainability model. And so that what you do can't rely just on you. It's not a real business unless, you know, others, it has a life without you in it. And I learned that that was such an important piece. And so in that organization, the nonprofit that I had, I'd begun kind of su succession planning. And there was some, you know, a little bit of traction happening in the community, again, getting things going. But I made it very clear if we started doing things locally here that it had to be able to stand on its own and there had to be enough support within the community to let it take on that life of its own. So while I was doing that, a mutual friend introduced me to Tim Road and his nonprofit One Life Fully Lived. So we would take what I refer to as power walks along this lovely river, um, Wild and Scenic River in Northern California, and talk about our two nonprofits and the things that we face. And much like when I was at the Olympic Games, a lot of the th conversations we had were also very similar. Same, same types of struggles, same types of things. You know, you need more money, you want more people to serve, you need more of that. What does it look like? Um, and Tim asked me if I would help him with a fundraiser. And so I could see the potential that One Life had and the work that he was trying to do and the vision that he had for it, but really needed to take some significant steps in you know, creating strategic goals, taking all of the amazing vision and ideas and universal truths that he was sharing in a very s clear and simple way with the people that he was working with already and create a system, get that all into a program that could be offered to people. And then that's when I joined One Life Fully Lived. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. Wow. Wow. And so, what I found with most folks that are leading or helping grow foundations is they don't like the cycle of raising the capital. They Most of the times, they just want to do the work. Um, what have you found in nonprofit management that people should be aware of if they're looking to get into the business because I think the majority of people that listen they want to do good they want to make the world a better place and sometimes they think nonprofit is the way to go sometimes they get dissuaded and they're like well maybe I need to start a business so what is kind of the downside to nonprofit and then we can talk about some of the other things that are more positive you know I think that through the lens of the last couple years where we've really brought to light a lot of the social injustice that's present in society, um, the weaknesses that we've identified um, during the pandemic through food chain and labor compensation and some of those. So I think there's a lot that's come to the top lately that we're aware of. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out how do I help? You know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where my 
where my place is. Can I make a difference? I'm, I'm just this person, you know, for your listeners, whoever's listening, regardless of where they are in the socioeconomic, you know, cycle, um, there's something you always can do. And I'd, I'd say some of the organizations or some of the groups that we work with in the most vulnerable situations, I find the most generous people. And some of the groups that we work with at the top of the tier, I find the least generous. And so it's very interesting. It's not always as you think. And so a listener that's going, gosh, I just see this and I don't know. I, don't, I want to make a difference. I, it's, I don't want to see people suffer. I want to see people be able to live to their full potential. I want to be able to put a hand out, you know, and actually put my hand out and help the next person come alongside me. Um, I think that, you know, you can break it down into three areas that we call time treasure or talent and what are those things you know so how can you give your time that's a very valuable commodity you know that you're going to dedicate time to spend but that's one way is just to look into a nonprofit organization and say how can I help so that's volunteering you know just being there showing up and doing what they need to do um, talent what is it that y- is your superpower you know, we've all got a superpower. What is that? And then looking at that organization, you know, you're going to think about what really moves me or where do I want to help? You know, what is it What is it that I would like to help solve a problem from, a, you know, what's this nonprofit's mission? Is that aligned with where I'd like to give my time? And, and so that talent piece, their nonprofits, you know, many don't, especially in community, community nonprofits may not have large staffs. So there may be something that you, that's your superpower that you can offer to them. If it's, you know, that's one thing that with strategy and connecting people is a strength of mine and that I did for one life, you know, and kind of start to help move the needle. So what is that? And then, of course, treasure, you know, it, the smallest donation can make the biggest difference. And so, and, you know, obviously large donations make greater difference. But you look at the scale of the organization and what they're serving and, you know, what, what you can do to make a difference. So those are kind of, you know, if they're going to start. You asked an interesting question about if someone's deciding if I should start a nonprofit or I should start a business, one of the things that many people starting a nonprofit don't consider is that it is a business. You don't keep the profits. It's a public entity. So the profits that come in, the money that comes in, whether it's through, you know, a service-based model, there's some nonprofits and actually there's some programs that we offer that we collect funds for but the proceeds of the operations any the net that you talk about in a for-profit business the net is distributed through the good of the organization to the public the public owns that leftover you know basically and so many nonprofits and many people when they get nonprofits started is they don't think about the business model and even I've been in um, like strategic retreats, I'll lead strategic retreats for nonprofits. And when I've done that, I'll have these amazing board members, you know, that run these big companies and or hospitals or, you know, doctors in the group. And we start talking about strategic goals and they're like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you mean I need to do that for this? Oh, I should be, it's a business like anything else. We need a budget. Yes, we need a budget. You know, yes, we need to work with an accountant. Yes, we need to, you know, but they just don't always think about it from the lens that it's a business like anything else. The other option that's available now is that you can start social enterprise, which is fantastic where there's, you know, you've got a for-profit entity um, that 
a portion of their proceeds are automatically dedicated into doing good. And um, there's some tax benefits, you know, set up in that. And I do really see that being the way of a lot of business models going forward, that that commitment's there. I mean, I, I love the millennial generation. I'm so grateful for their awareness. Um, I'm so grateful for how they truly want to make an impact and make this world a better place. I think they're the first group to say it's us, not they. We can make this change, and they're dedicated to that. And so I think this social enterprise model is something we're going to see more and more. Wow. It is a business. That hits home because I think people who just want to make it better forget that it takes money to make it better. And if you don't have something that's sustainable, you're not going to solve the problem, at least not for very long. It's going to be really hard to keep the doors open. So you guys have a few different pillars with One Life Fully Lived, right? You talked about doing some management, consulting, fee-based stuff. Kind of break down what, what you guys do and what you offer. You bet, you bet. And actually, it's you know, you kind of bring that along in talking about the sustainable model and sometimes with nonprofits, you know, how they look at that, that they're not going to be there to help. And so very similar for me, actually. So I had all these, you know, for-profit entities that, you know, some did better, some didn't do as well. And, and as we came along that journey, you know, what I began to realize is I spent my whole life serving others, wanting to help others develop to their full potential, but I wasn't really looking at me. And money was never something that really mattered to me. I believe I have an abundant mindset, know that my needs are always met, so I've never really thought much about it. So a lot of times in the nonprofit world, or just servant heart people, they forget to put that oxygen mask, like they tell you on the plane, you know, put the oxygen mask on you first and then help the people around you. You forget to do that. And um, so that very much was something that was happening to me. So when I was taking these power walks with Tim, I was beginning to learn things and question things about my mindset and my operation and how I had done things. And, um, and so that focus is around, you know, One Life Fully Live helps people create a roadmap for their life, right? To dream, plan, and live their best life, like I said at the beginning. And so what is that? We use two tools. One is called the Fulfillment Triangle. And so that's where your passion meet your talents, and there's an opportunity. So what you love to do, what you're really good at, and there's a demand for it. And that's not just in business. If you think about that in a charitable perspective, you know, what that looks like. And so that's one, the fulfillment triangle. The other one is what we call the core four. And so it's four pillars. It's vision, finances, relationships, and wellness. So vision, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Like when you ask a four-year-old how they just scream it out. You know, if there were no barriers, where you are in life, whatever your life has been not like to this point, whatever you've seen around you or you haven't, What's that thing in your heart that if you just moved all that away, you'd love to do? And then how are you going to fund it? Where's the money going to come to make that happen? And so some strategies around that. And then relationships. Who am I? Who are the five people in my life that have the most influence on me? And who are my mentors or where do I find them? And so who's going to be with me on this journey for this amazing life I was born to live? And then the last one is wellness. So will I be healthy in my mind, body, and spirit to get there and enjoy it for a long, long time along that pathway? Wow. So amazing framework. And you're sharing this with people who are looking to grow. Um, 
Are you actually doing the work directly with the folks, or are you coming in and supporting organizations that are already existing in the community? So as we began to look, we were doing a lot of one-to-one work, you know, where we were helping the individuals. Um, Maybe we were, actually in the beginning stages, we were doing primarily um, all at-risk youth. So we were going into schools and doing a 90-minute assembly program called Dare to Dream. And we would go through those pillars with them. So it wasn't just about the dream. It was about, you know, taking the steps, a very systematic approach in each of those areas to create a plan for your life. Um, And then we began to expand into other types of populations because we found that the kids, unless they were in a circumstance where they were having to make money for their family and they were actually paying the bills or maybe they were homeless, you know, they were a teen that, you know, was was homeless. They couldn't really use all of these steps. They could apply pieces of it. Um, but if we talked to their parents or we talked to the people in the neighborhoods where they lived and made the change there, the communities, populations that they were in, now we're changing a generation. Now the kids are seeing this model in their own home and how they've turned around. And that was far more effective impact than kind of giving them some ideas. So we still work with at-risk youth, but if we go into a uh, transitional home, for instance, that helps women that have survived domestic violence and they've fled that situation like I had, okay, and somebody gave me this information at that moment, shoot, I would have skipped 10 years of, you know, running a circle and, and started out right you know, and really been able to make some traction a long time ago and probably would have had a less painful journey along the way doing it. So their um, uh, organizations, so we found in a scalable perspective that if we go alongside organizations that, you know, serve a group of people, they've already got the people there, um, maybe it is a, um, a sobriety organization, you know, that helps people in recovery or maybe it's probation department, or we've actually gone into prisons and worked with people that are about to re-enter into society. You know, how do we set them up right with the tools that they need that are very understandable, usable, put it to work right now and see change? And that's what we're beginning to see is huge changes and, and, and great things happening like those people's children now buying homes. So. Yeah, I think I saw Tim get a little teary-eyed because there was a lady who... Our executive director. Tell me more. So our executive director, Carolyn Colleen, um, she's got a great book out. I'll give Carolyn the plug here. It's called Fierce. Um, And uh, she went through, um, had a very difficult uh, young childhood faced a lot of challenges and adversity amazing story actually if you go to our website one life fully lived we have a docu-short on there and you can actually watch and see carolyn's journey as well as that of a couple other people that have come into the one life family Um, but she'd been through a lot of adversity very difficult things in her life but really began to educate herself you know on her own knew she you know needed to know more learn more get a better job and she kind of was caught up in that cycle of trading time for money and you know she was getting ahead she really was but still kind of that paycheck to paycheck and not enough time for her children she had um, a son then so she had a daughter at a very young age and then she had a son born that um, is in the autistic spectrum and needed to have more time for him 
but she didn't. She couldn't because she's trading time for money, you know, punching that clock on the wheel, you know, trying to make it. And uh, she came to an event that we had done and uh, began to apply the principles we teach in the core four. And that was a point of turning for her. And multiple income streams created a great situation, you know. So she wrote her book. She started to speak. She started a life coach. All of these things started to come together where she was able to share her experiences um, and begin to teach her kids these same principles. Um, I mean, there, so there was a time she talks about she went from Salvation Army to Ph.D. to now the leader of an organization that serves the Salvation Army. And, is, and she's on the board of that same place where she stood in line to get help when she was a single mom with her young little baby. And so what has since happened is that little baby she was in line with at the Salvation Army, Carolyn's able to teach these skills now to her daughter, and her daughter just bought a house. And her daughter's not on the same journey that she was. So Breaking the generational curse. Correct, and that's a huge, huge goal of ours. Is, is let's just give education and access to where it hasn't been available in a simple, understanding way that's real to people and achievable that they can live their best life. So after hearing that story, I'm sure people are asking, how can I get involved? If they want to learn, donate, help, connect you with the organization or the community, what should they do? You know, um, there's a couple ways to get involved. Uh, first of all, you can go to our website, onelifefullylived.org, and it's the number one lifefullylived.org. Um, there's the Get Involved page. You know, you can click on that, and it talks actually on there about time, treasure, talent. There's some different things that they can do. Obviously, like I said, treasure's a great thing. You can donate and make a donation. Um, a one-time donation. We have a recurring donor program that we call the Contributor Club that's actually kind of a, uh, you build yourself up, you level up your skills while you're helping somebody else do theirs. And so there's some benefits as being part of our recurring donor program. We do these monthly community calls. And so you get to be in the green room per se with whoever our guest speaker is for that month. And you get to ask them questions offline to help you out too. So you grow while you're helping somebody else grow. And then, um, we're coming to different cities around the country. Uh, we're looking for organizations always to serve. So if you know of a group of people, you know, that are in a vulnerable situation, um, whether it be a, you know, supportive housing or transitional or maybe it's a church group, you know, that has some outreach into some communities where you know need some help, we can come in and bring the One Life Roadmap. Uh, the program to you. It's a, uh, for those nonprofits that we serve, it's a free two-hour experience that's interactive that helps people create that outline of that beginning plan. So they can, you know, those, those would be connect us to an organization, make a donation. We've got a book available on Amazon that's the One Life Roadmap Journal. There's an adult version and a student version. So you can see the framework if you want to test it out and see what it's like before grab that book off Amazon. But yeah. I'm going to have to get two of those kid journals for my girls so they can get some clarity on what they're supposed to be doing. Susan, this has been an amazing discussion on what most people probably wouldn't expect when they just look. And I think you're the epitome of a dream catcher. You've been willing to blow up things that you realize weren't working for you. They weren't serving you the way that they should. And rebuild and restarting. You haven't been afraid of that. 
And then you also are willing to go deep and find things beneath the surface and truly have understanding instead of awareness. And I think that is so precious and something that so many of us, I don't want to say take for granted, but we're not willing to explore. And so truly inspiration to me, I think you've given the listeners something that they can go and be actionable against. And I'm just grateful that you're so generous with your time today. I'm happy to have come on and be on my first podcast with you. It's been wonderful together. And what a beautiful compliment you just gave me. I think that's, I've had two of the nicest things in my life said to me this week. And so it's pretty amazing. Just the group of people that we're here with, you know, how, how kind and heart-centered everybody is. But to say that to go beyond awareness and develop understanding, I thank you so much. And I, you know, it's, we should all strive for that, huh? I think maybe so. we'd have a maybe we'd make some more progress in yeah. the places where it hurts so much. So beautiful. Th- we fear the things we don't understand. So we got social proof that your dreams should be real to the listeners. Your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>